Well, we are in a new series called We Are Family. Uh, because that, I believe, is one of uh, the most overarching metaphors that God gives for his church. And we're his church, amen? Jesus is our senior pastor, and we're his people on his mission. We kind of informally started this series last Sunday. We had uh, some friends with us from our extended family uh, from Detroit, uh, a guy named Cleet and another guy named Mike, and they pastor a church that they planted in the inner city of Detroit. And if you didn't get a chance to hear them last Sunday, I'd recommend get on our website, go check that out. And they laid out clearly that the purpose for God's family is God's glory. That, the, the, that eternity, when we get together with Jesus for the rest of uh, our lives, for, for eternity, uh, it's going to be about giving God glory for the salvation he gives to us in Jesus. And it's going to be all peoples of all ethnicities, of every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping him. And that's our family. Isn't that great news? Yeah, amen. Hey, as the lights come on, uh, let me continue. The, the church then is God's people on God's mission. Um, we saw that really clearly last Sunday, really clearly. And so uh, when we talk about, though, God's family, what we're talking about is the church. Now, and when we talk about the church, there's a couple different ways we can talk about it. We're going to spend a lot of time just explaining this morning what the church is as God's family, what God's word tells us about the church. But um, I I thought it'd be good by way of introduction just to talk about a couple of things in terms of how we talk about the church theologically. Does that sound okay with you? So first off, you can think of the church in one of two ways. Uh, Often, we often talk about it in terms of the local church. So when we say, I'm going to church, where are you going? To a local church. Wabasi Bible is a local church in a local place. Lowercase c church is the local church. And the the church is, there's all kinds of local churches all around the world, all throughout uh, recorded history. And and it's exciting uh, that we get to be part of God's family as one of his local churches. Isn't that good news? And as in that way, we're, we're family. We're like immediate family together then as his local church. But there's also, you can also refer to the church with a capital C as the universal church. And a church with a capital C, universal church, really refers to all of God's people, all those who've trusted Jesus throughout all time in all places. And so the, the Bible actually refers uh, at different times to both the lowercase c local church and the uppercase c universal church. Does that make sense? You might think of it in terms of your family. You've got an immediate family, but you've got also an extended family. And the uppercase c universal church is also mentioned in scripture. So uh, let's, let's, I just want to read a couple of these to you by way of introduction. In Romans 16.5, uh, Paul says uh, to greet also the church in their house. Talking to someone, he's talking about a local house church as a church. 1 Corinthians 16.19, Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you greetings. The church in an entire city is often called a church. In many of Paul's letters, like the church in Corinth or in Ephesus or in Rome, there's, there's a local church. There's kind of a regional church, but also uh, the church throughout the entire world, throughout all time, is referred to as the church in Scripture. You know, Paul says Christ loved the what? 
church, capital C, and he gave himself up for her. He's talking about not just like one local church, like down the road in that one particular spot. He's talking about every church, his entire church. So the point is that when when we talk about the church and talk about family, we're going to be kind of going back and forth between those two ideas. We're going to be kind of uh, swimming uh, in both pools, so to speak, in terms of our local church and also God's universal church and the church as a whole. And as we've said, we've seen that God's family, his church, is to be about glorifying God. And so we're going to talk about those things and how that plays out and how we glorify God as his church, as his family. Sound good? So with that introduction kind of out of the way, let me pray. And then uh, we're going to talk about this together. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for your church, which includes all of us who've trusted you. Lord, I pray... uh, Uh, Over the next few weeks as we study these things and look at what your word says about us as a family and as your people, it it would motivate us toward mission, towards glorifying you, towards loving others, toward being who you say we are. So... uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you teach through me and even uh, teach me this morning as as we look through your word uh, in various places today. And I also pray against the enemy. Uh, He hates your church, Jesus, because you've given your life for it. And uh, he would confuse us. He would uh, cause us to, to doubt. He would cause us to feel condemned. But in you, we're set free. And you were redeemed. And you were your family. And you love your family. So we pray all this then in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we talked about the church in kind of two ways. Lowercase c, local church. Capital C, uh, universal church. But there's also a lot of misunderstandings about the church, whether it's the local church or the universal church. So uh, I think it's also appropriate for us to begin now with what the church is not. Because many people have misunderstandings of what the church is to be, who God's family is. So in no particular order, even though they're numbered, just for reference, in no particular order, here are some of the most common misunderstandings of what the church is. Number one, the church is not a building. Now, we often refer to our building as the church. But really, the church, as is explained in the Bible, the word for church is called ecclesia, and it means a gathering, specifically a gathering of God's people. You know, it's kind of like this, it was explained to me, maybe it was explained to you this way as a little kid. You know, uh, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and what? See all the people. But it it shouldn't have been like that. It should have been like, here's the building, here's the steeple, open the doors, and see the church. That's really what it ought to have been. Because the church is God's people. It's his family. It's not a building. Now, God's given us a wonderful building. Amen? And it's a tool for us to do the mission he's given us. But the church is not a building. uh, Excuse me. Yeah. And the building is not sacred. His church is. Uh, Second thing the church is not. The church is not a single denomination. It's not a single denomination, you know, like, hey, it's us four, no more. Uh, It's not that. Uh, Some have wrongly maybe thought that. Um, 
for me, I think I've, I've been able to, to not maybe think that way simply because I grew up in a Lutheran church. I got saved in a Methodist church. I uh, attended when I was in Bible college, I attended a, a non-denominational church and now I serve in a free church. So it's like, okay, there's, there's all these different churches, but you know, sometimes there's the joke, you know, and you can maybe fill in whatever denomination you want here, but you know, the the guys get to heaven and they're getting walked around and they go down one hallway of all the mansions and Peter says, shh, why, why do we got to be quiet? Because this is where the fill in whatever denomination you want is, right? This is where I'll, I'll, I'll use Lutheran since I grew up in that, but I'm not picking on you if that's your heritage, but uh, all the, all the Lutherans are here. Um, well, why do we got to be quiet? They think they're the only ones here. That's not the case, right? The church is not, and I'm not saying Lutherans believe that. I'm saying some people in pretty much every denomination tend to think that. But the church is not a single denomination. It's not. Uh, Wawasee Bible is our immediate family, and we're part of a greater family. We, we're not part of necessarily a denomination, though you'd refer to it that way. We're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, which is more of a, an association, a network of churches. that We're all united around the same core theological issues. And so from church to church, we, the reason we say the free church is because every church is kind of free to, to govern themselves the way they want. But we hold to the same core doctrine based on God's word. And uh, within the, the free church, uh, we even recognize in our statement of faith that, that we're just one line of God's greater extended family. We say this in our statement of faith, we believe that the true church comprises all who've been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. It's not just about us. God's family is much bigger. So in that family metaphor then, in saying that the church is not just one denomination, we have a big family with lots of cousins and distant cousins and uh, extended cousins. We've got, uh, you you fill in the blank, right? Uh, CMA churches, Southern Baptists, Lutherans, Brethren, Methodists, Vineyard, Church of God, Missionary Churches, Pentecostals. We have all kinds of different people who are part of our extended family as God's church. Amen? And uh, we've got the full spectrum in God's family. You know, uh, some who are a little weird, some who are a little uptight, but that's family. You've got them in your family too. And we are God's church. We're his family. So the church is not a building. The church is not a single denomination. Number three, the church is not a business. It's not a business. Now, some tend to view the church solely as a business. Uh, but usually those people who view it that way haven't really become part of God's family. They just maybe attend a church. It's not a business. It's a family. Now, that being said, there are principles of a business that apply to a local church, especially in North America, as it grows. You know, there's financial considerations to, to care for. There's filings with the government that you have to make. There's hiring and uh, maintaining of staff and of a building. And, and some of those things require some business practices. But when you say it's all business, you ignore that it's family. But it gets kind of messy because as you grow, then uh, with that family, there's parts of it that are business. And so there, it's, it's, it's like we have to function in some ways as both. But at our core, we're not a business. We're a what? Family. Yeah, we're a family. Uh, the, the fourth thing the church is not, the church is not a country club. In other words, the church is not a social club. Now, many, um, especially uh, over the last 50, 60 years in America, 
I think have wrongly uh, viewed the church as kind of a country club or a social club. Now, with the the culture changing and the political climate changing uh, rapidly and radically, I don't think many people see it that way anymore. But there used to be a sense when Christendom was the norm that there was actually benefit socially to being part of a local church. And so often you'd see many people who claimed to be Christians in name only and associated themselves with the church because that gained them some kind of social status. Well, if anything, now today you associate yourself with the local church. Does that help your status culturally? Not, not much in most places. And so that's changed, but still uh, it can be easy to think of the church wrongly as just a country club. Now I hope you have friends in the church. I hope you have a lot of friends in the church. I really do. But at its core, we're not simply a social club because social clubs are exclusive, right? They have agendas, they have presidents, they have dues that you have to pay and only certain people can maybe get into it, but the church is not that. The church is for anyone who would trust Jesus Christ. No matter their social status, their intellect, their, uh, what's, what they've done in the past, what's been done to them, the church is for any who would trust Jesus. It's not a country club. Number five, the church is not from a single political party. Um, You know, every political party wants to claim Jesus. Have you noticed that? If you haven't, just start watching some of the news. You will over the next year. It's an election year. And every political party will want to claim Jesus. But sadly, I don't know of any that really want to follow Jesus. Because there's... Don't associate the church with a political party. Now, we're in the world, we're to care about those things and to be involved in those things, but that's not the core of who we are. We're a family, not a political party, amen? And so, because of that, if you're new, you're going to find out you'll uh, uh, rarely, which read that as pretty much never, hear me ever talk about anything politically on this platform, because as a family, we've got people who view things differently, and that's okay. You probably have that in your family too, don't you? And that's okay. But you need, you need to recognize that uh, God's design is actually not for a democracy, but for a benevolent king. And one day Jesus is going to come back and there won't be an election because nobody would elect him. There's, he's going to come back and he's just going to set up shop as king. That's a great spot for an amen. He's just going to set up his shop as king. Amen. And he's going to be a good king, a benevolent king, a perfect king. There'll be no need for democracy or checks and balances. Jesus will do it perfectly. So uh, number six, the church is not here to meet your needs. Now, uh, let me clarify that a little bit. We're on Jesus' agenda, not our own, right? Now, are there, are there needs that we want to meet in people's lives as a church? Absolutely we do. But when I say that, that statement really comes out as most people are kind of like my three-year-old son, Charlie. They don't know how to distinguish between what their needs are and what their wants are. And so usually when people, oh, you got to meet my needs. No, it's like you want to meet my wants, what I want. We are here to meet spiritual needs. The greatest need of which, if you don't know him, is to trust Jesus Christ. Uh, But ultimately, the church is not here to meet needs. It's here to glorify Jesus and to love people and care for them and bring them closer to Jesus Christ. Right? We're sent to love is the way we say it. Now that involves meeting different needs of people, but it's not the end game. See the difference? It's not just to meet their needs. And then finally, number seven, the church is not your ticket to heaven. 
It's not your ticket to heaven. Um, there's, when I was a youth pastor, I'd use this a lot, and many of you have heard me say it too, but you know, coming to church no more makes you part of God's family, no more makes you a Christian than going to Taco Bell makes you a chalupa. You eat enough chalupas, you're going to look like a chalupa, maybe even smell like one. You'll get all the right language down, but you're not going to become one. Same thing, you can come to church for a long time and you can interact and still have friends and all that sort of stuff, but until you trust Jesus Christ, you're not really a Christian. And the church, attending church doesn't get you to heaven. Trusting Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to take your place underneath God's wrath for sin, that's what makes you new and makes you part of his family. Amen? So we could say more. We could uh, come up with even a longer list than those seven, but those are, are, are seven big ones. Maybe in your life group this week, you can talk about what are some other misunderstandings you've, under, you've seen or even had yourself about what the church is. Uh, but let's turn our attention not from what we're not, but to who we are. As we've said, and I've said many times, uh, the church is God's family. The church is his family. First uh, Peter two nine. Uh, we're going to come back to this verse often this morning, and we're going to we're, we're not. I should say this: if you're new, normally we'll take like a, a book of the Bible and we'll work our way through it, kind of little by little, like we did Exodus recently. But this series is really more. We're, we're looking at, at this idea that's taught all throughout the New Testament, and so we're going around to different places to see what God's Word has to say about it in an all encompassing way. Does that make sense? So uh, primarily today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And here's how that verse starts. But you, Peter writes, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's family is a way you could summarize that. Now there's a lot of metaphors throughout Scripture that talk about what the church is, this, this whole group, this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation. And, and Scripture gives us a lot of metaphors for it. It's kind of like a, like a husband who's uh, or a newly-to-be-married guy who's, who's raving about the beauty, and hopefully even a husband still who is married, raving about the beauty of his wife. And he goes on and on and talks about her in all these different ways and then says, I, I wish I had more words to describe her. That's kind of the New Testament description of the church. There's a lot of metaphors. The one we're going to be looking at is the idea of a family. There's several family images. First Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Don't rebuke an older man, Timothy, but exhort him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters. In all purity, relate to each other as a family. Uh, God says to us, I'll be a father to you, 2 Corinthians 6. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's 2 Corinthians six eighteen. Jesus says we're brothers and sisters in his family. Uh, somewhat different family metaphor is we're called the bride of Christ, the church is. I betrothed you one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Paul here is looking to the time that Jesus returns and, and makes us totally new and totally pure. In other metaphors, scripture compares the church to branches on a vine, an olive tree, uh, fields of crops, uh, building, uh, and a harvest. It's viewed as a temple, uh, as God's house. God gives us all kinds of different metaphors for what the church is. And uh, even as the body of Christ, with Christ as the head. But uh, 
one of my favorites is just this metaphor of a family. Because as a family, we understand that we're here to interact with one another. We all have different parts to play. We're all important. We're all valuable. Everybody matters, right? We are God's family. And when you see, and as our family, we've got a really good dad as God's family. We've got a really cool big brother. Do you ever wish you had a cool big brother? I'm the oldest, so I can say that without offending anybody in my family. If your big brother's sitting next to you, you can just kind of go like this. But wouldn't that, I mean, we, we do. We're part of his family. And the, by the way, though, the way you become part of God's family is you get adopted in. You're adopted in to his family. You're chosen to be a part of his family. Uh, you're adopted. You're, you're adopted as God's kids. See, Ephesians 1 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It was his choice to adopt us to be part of his family. Now, often we hear people talk about every person being called a child of God and part of God's family. Do you hear that ever in our culture? I I, I hear that all the time. Uh, But here's the reality. Uh, The truth of the matter is, according to the Bible, not everyone is God's child. The the people who are God's children are those who have been adopted into the family, who've trusted Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, everyone bears God's image. Everyone has uh, inexpressible value and worth and dignity to God and before others and, and are loved deeply by God. But the way you become a part of the family... The way you actually become his child, you move from being just a creation to his child, is you trust Jesus Christ and you're adopted in. And when you're adopted in, you're like fully part of the family, irrevocably part of the family. It's a great metaphor for what happens when we trust Jesus. So how does that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul explains that as well in Galatians 4. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, speaking of Jesus, who was born of a woman. He he was God who put on flesh and he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, all of us, so that we might be adopted as sons. That we might be adopted with full rights. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, not just a creation, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Uh, ladies, uh, when it says sons and it doesn't say daughters, that's not ignoring you. That's saying that, see, because in this day, uh, women didn't have the same rights as men. Only the sons would receive an inheritance. So when Paul says we're all adopted as sons, we're all adopted with the same status and standing before God. Isn't that good news? Yeah, it's great news. So don't hear that and think, well, the Bible doesn't like women. You'll hear that in our our culture all over the place. It's simply not true. Uh, Jesus loves you and uh, yeah, we could go on. But but that's what it's saying. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. See, so it says before you didn't know God. Uh, Not know that he exists, but you didn't know him as a friend, as a father. You have to be adopted in and you do that by trusting God. Jesus. That's how you become part of the family. 
you become part of God's family only after you've been made new by Jesus. Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And over and over and over, we see this idea of being brought into God's family. And it's all because of Jesus' work on the cross for you. See, the church then is to be centered on the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? Gospel just means good news. You want to hear what that good news is? Here's the, well, let's start with the bad news. Because the good news is only good if you understand the bad news. The bad news is we're all messed up royally. We're all sinful. I mean, think of it. Even the best person you know uh, anywhere in your entire life throughout all time, the best person, imagine them for a second. You might say they're a really good person, but they're not what? Perfect. They're not perfect. They're not uh, without sin. Even the best people are perfect. Yet what, what God says in his word is that you're to be holy like I'm holy. You're to be perfect like I'm perfect. If you want to be around a perfect and holy and righteous God, you have to be holy yourself. Well, that's really bad news because we've all messed up. Uh, and not just in small ways, but big ways. And so because of our sin, Paul tells us in Romans, uh, because of your sin, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Uh, so we deserve God's wrath. And the wages then of sin, what we've earned is death. And not, not just physical death, but eternal death under God's wrath for our sin. Now that might sound harsh, right? Might sound kind of mean. Actually, me telling you that is something that you need to know. And it's, uh, it's a good thing to know. I'm telling you because I love you, because there's good news to go with that horrible reality. Do you want to know what it is? This is the gospel. The gospel is, the good news is that uh, while you were still a sinner, while you were still royally jacked up, that includes all of us, including the guy on the stage. Romans 5, 8 says that Christ died for sinners. Now, Jesus, let's, let's rewind. Jesus comes, he's God, he puts on flesh. He lives a perfect life, never sins, so he never earns what? Death. He never earns death like we have. Yet, what does he do? He dies on the cross in our place. He's a perfect sacrifice for us. And in being that sacrifice and taking our place, uh, as we sang right away this morning, that, uh, that God put his wrath on his son. He became, the Bible uses this big word that we really never use anywhere else, uh, called propitiation, which means that he took God's wrath on the cross. I think of it as propitiation. He took the punch of God's wrath on the cross for you and for me and for anyone who would trust him. And uh, for some, Paul says this seems like foolishness because... Uh, Jesus says that if you would simply come to me and believe in me, you will be saved. Paul reiterates it. He says, uh, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, saved from what? Saved from God's wrath. Saved from his wrath. But not only saved from his wrath, saved to something, which we're going to talk about in a moment. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And as God's family, we only become part of his family when we trust Jesus in that way. And all of our sins are forgiven. Everything is washed away. We're seen now in Christ. 
Like there's this veil over us. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as condemned or as his enemies any longer, but as his kids. And he loves us. Isn't that great news? Now, until you trust Jesus though, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you're actually not a child of God, but a child of his wrath. The good news is you can't do anything to earn God's favor. It's already been earned for you by Jesus. Your only response is to believe. And that's the part that seems like foolishness, but the reality is it's the greatest truth in the world. It's good news. See, the church is God's family, and that's how you become part of God's family. You're adopted as his kid, and as his family, then we're centered on that good news, on the gospel. Because without that good news, without the gospel, there's no forgiveness, there's no transformation, there's no church. See, and I mentioned we're saved from wrath, but it's more than this. We're saved to be transformed. See, uh, the church is God's family that he called out of the world to Jesus. He called us out of the world to Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 2.9 again. See, you are, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. All these descriptions of God's people, of his church, you're a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. He's called you to himself. He's called us to himself to be his. Uh, when we were in Exodus, do you remember God made a, a covenant with his people? And he said, uh, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people, right? And I'm going to dwell among you. Like, I'm your God and you're my people. Well, that's fulfilled ultimately, friends, in Jesus Christ. Who, who call, you are called out of this world to Jesus to be his own possession. You're called to be made new, to be transformed. See, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this whole idea of trusting Christ and being veiled in Christ, veiled in his righteousness, made totally new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you, therefore, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old, this is great news. The old, all that junk from your past, all of those things that you've done, all those things done to you, guess what? It's gone. It's gone. Now, it might still affect you in this life and explain some things about you, but ultimately, for eternity, that's been cared for, washed away, and now there's healing available for you both now and ultimately forever. You're a new creation. See, you're made new, you're transformed. Uh, John 3, uh, Jesus uh, interacts with this guy named Nicodemus and Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus goes, what are you talking about? Can I crawl like into my mother's womb again and be born again? And Jesus says, how do you not get this? Like, it's just a matter of trusting me. See, Paul says when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're brand new. It's this metaphor of being, the church often uses it, of being born again. Brand new life. The old is gone. Now you're still living in a world that's sinful and messed up, but the great news is Jesus is coming back to fix it all. And sooner now than ever in history. Isn't that great news? So the church is God's family called out of the world to Jesus to be made new, transformed. Now, how do you get transformed now after you've trusted Jesus? Well, you're, you're called then to him to abide in him, to abide and grow in Christ. You'll notice like on your insert, I've got all these little lines, right? 
You've got all these scriptures. I'm going to read each of these. And there's kind of lines that come down below. Because what happens here is you're, you're called to abide and grow in Christ as this church we are. So that uh, see, we're called to Jesus, but we're also going to be find, we're going to find out we're sent for Jesus. You're, you're, you're made new and then you're given something to do. So look at some of these. John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me, Jesus says. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Here's what this means. You need to stay close to Jesus. As a church, we say it like this. It's all about Jesus. Like he's the senior pastor. He's the one we're following. When I quit preaching Jesus, we do what? We rush the stage. We do. I'm going to pay for that someday. You're going to misunderstand something I say. But it's true. Like it's all about Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. He's our only hope. It's all about him. And we're to abide in him. Uh, this metaphor, like he's the vine, we're the branches. We were talking about this in Forge yesterday morning. Mike brought up a, a great point that uh, even in pruning of the branches, when, when our branches are pruned, when we're pruned, when we go through hard times and it seems like things just get cut back in our lives, what's actually happening to that branch? It's getting cut shorter and shorter, but what's it closer to? The vine. It's closer to Jesus. It's abiding in him. So we're to abide in him. Mark, uh, Mark 3, 14, it says that he, Jesus appointed 12, whom he also called apostles. So that, you know why? So that they might be with him. Called out of the world to Jesus. Psalm 67, 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, to, to draw us to himself. Now, the church is God's family. We're called out of the world to Jesus, but we're not called out of the world to live in a bubble. Right? Uh, we're to be weird in a good way, not in a weird way. Weird in a good way means that we look like Jesus in a world that's just royally messed up. Weird in a bad way means you're just weird. And you never go back out into the world to love people like we're called to do and like Jesus did. See, because while we're called out of the world to Jesus, he turns right around and sends us into the world for Jesus. As God's family, we're called out of the world to him and sent back into the world for him. On mission for him. Now, look at the, 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 the other verses. We're, we're to abide and grow in Christ, to go for Christ. John, John 15, 16, he, he continues this metaphor of abiding in him. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit. So that you should go. Uh, Mark three fourteen. Uh, we said he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. But I didn't finish the sentence that they might be with Jesus and that he might send them out to preach. See, Jesus appointed the apostles to be with him and to send them. Psalm 67, one, uh, why, now why should God bless us when he calls us to him? So that his way might be known on the earth. We're sent for him. We say it like this. We are sent sent by who by jesus like who like jesus out into the world to love the world we're sent to love people you know what that means that means even people that aren't like us 
even people that you don't like, you're called to love. You and I are sent to love people. And when we get the opportunity to invite them to follow Jesus with us, you know, when they ask, well, why do you do this? Why are you like this? Well, because of Jesus, let me tell you about him. In fact, why don't you come follow him with us? Friends, God's church, as his church, we're his family. We're God's people and we're on God's mission. We're called to him to be his people. And then we're sent out by him, for him, to love people and to invite more people into the family to be adopted. We're going to unpack this more and more over the coming weeks. But uh, I just leave you with, with this, that if you're part of God's family, praise the Lord. And I'm glad you're here and there's work to do. If you're not part of God's family, man, it's so simple. You simply, uh, the Bible talks of it as repentance. Repent just, uh, just means to turn, to change your mind about who Jesus is, to, to recognize who he is, to come to him in faith and believe. And when that happens, Jesus promises that you'll be adopted into his family, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything he's done, not because you're good, but because he's good. And it's all simply an act of faith. And we would love for you to be part of God's family if you're not, and even to be part of our local expression of his big, weird family right here at Wallasee. You are loved. Trust him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Then we're going to sing. We're going to call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, your grace through, through him to us. Lord, I, I pray that all the time, but I pray it all the time because it's true. I thank you for that. Apart from you, Jesus, uh, we have no hope. Uh, We're lost and without hope in this world. But Jesus, with you, we've been redeemed. And uh, we didn't finish the verse, but in Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says that we've been called, uh, chosen as a possession for you so that we would go out and declare the excellencies of your glorious grace. So I I pray that you would inspire that in us. Remind us who we are and what we're called to do as a family. And Lord, I pray also, Holy Spirit, for those who haven't trusted you yet, that uh, that tug they feel in their heart, they would know that that's you drawing them. And that they would come to faith, that they would simply put their trust in you, be made new, and then uh, be given purpose and life everlasting in you. Lord, thanks for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.